Welcome to the Bootleg Gathering Podcast. Today's episode starts right now. I grew up working for the family business, spending time on construction sites and out in the field. In my late teens, I started asking for circular saws and other job-related things for Christmas. So a thermos seemed like a good idea. I'm actually holding it right now. Uh, It's green, silver cap, been ran over a couple of times. It's my original thermos. Pretty sure it was a Christmas gift. Now I've got a newer one, but this one feels like a friend. My name is engraved on the bottom so that the other guys didn't get it confused because everyone had a thermos that looked like this back then. On days like today, um, as I'm writing this transcript, you couldn't stay home. It was snowy and cold. In fact, it was days like today that the work became the most difficult. You know, no one else would notice, but when I would walk into a commercial building, I notice front doors, like Conair narrow-style, center-hung pivots with concealed husky closures in the top jam. Anybody else notice that? You'd have to be an architect or a glazer to notice, and I was a glazer. Well, on days like today, it's cold, it's snowing, the combination of the salt and ice and the wind, those bottom pivots would pop. Businesses would call, and I'd go out, pull the door down, and then replace the bottom pivot. The screws were always stripped and corroded. And when you installed a a new bottom pivot, you were wearing gloves, but then there are these little screws. So for the last half hour of the replacement, you you couldn't wear gloves. You had to use your fingers. And these took anywhere from an hour to two hours, um, if everything went well. So returning to the truck to some hot chocolate or coffee or tea became quite a treat. Fast forward a few years, and I had the privilege to help launch a church campus. Some of you know that. And I loved almost everything about it. I loved getting ready for the weekend. It felt like Sunday was the grand opening of a new business. I loved making sure that the weeds were pulled and the light bulbs were lit and the carpet was clean, the projectors were in focus and centered. I loved our coffee bar and and just everything about the experience and seeing it through the eyes of our target audience, unchurched people, my friends. And I had a few people that I'd prayed would accept an invitation to try it out. So I would walk through every day trying to imagine what they would see when they walked through. And I kept this thermos in my office where I could see it every day. And it reminded me of how nice an inside desk job really was. And when I would be having a meeting that wasn't fun, I'd glance back at this thermos and I would think, well, at least I'm not out in the cold and the rain today. There was one thing that I hated about the campus pastor job. Every week, I'd have a list of things I'd need to go get from Walmart. Goldfish for the nursery, Hershey's chocolate, whipped cream, club soda for the coffee bar, bottled water for everybody. And the first few weeks after we launched, I waited until Sunday morning to get those items. And I still remember coming back out into the parking lot with the cart full of items. And I lift the tailgate to my old Nissan Pathfinder. And as I do, the box of programs, there had to be a thousand in there, fall out and they go flying everywhere. The wind just pulls them all over, every direction, all over the parking lot. And for a split second, I have two conflicting 
thoughts. One, I don't want our church to get in trouble for littering. Like our name is all over these these programs. And then the second thought is this may be the best promotional stunt ever. They'll be picking up little advertisements for my church for the next month. With the help of three or four kind souls, we picked up every last one of them. And I later explained from our stage why there may be little bits of gravel in your programs today. Now fast forward a couple of years, and I'm trying to avoid the Walmart and Sam's every Friday, Sunday morning. I get the idea to buy some things in bulk. A pallet of club soda from Hy-Vee, which they delivered. A pallet of bottled water from Menards. I'm pretty sure there's like 8,000 bottles of water that come on a pallet. But I was saving the church money and time. So I grabbed the youth pastor at the time. His name's John. We jump into my 77 Ford pickup and we head to Menards. We go in and you have to pay for it with an order slip. And then you go around through the secure lumberyard area. And uh, we find the guy with the forklift and he loads it right in the middle of the truck bed. And we go to check out the security guard. The security guard there, he's kind of like, so do you guys plan on tying that down? I'm like, man, no worries, brother. We're, we're not going very far. I'll take it nice and slow. And we pull away and we take that first curve right when you come out of Menards parking lot and turn onto the main road that runs between Menards and Walmart. And as we take that slow curve next to what is now the new F&M Bank, I look in the rearview mirror as in slow motion, I see that stack of 8,000 water bottles start to lean. And I say to John, there she goes. And the next thing I know, there are hundreds, it seemed like thousands of water bottles all over the road, literally less than 200 feet away from where all of those bulletins spilled out a few years earlier. So I turn the truck around, I go back and I park in the middle of the turning lane. And I say, you know, John, someday this will be a great sermon illustration for one of us. But right now, let's just see how fast we can chuck these water bottles back into the truck. So we're now in the road and there's traffic going both ways and not just any traffic. I'm talking Walmart traffic. You know what I mean? So in a state of embarrassment and laughter, we're chucking about halfway through. I decide to get a picture of John. He takes a picture of me. If this is ever going to be a sermon illustration, we need proof. I'll try to upload that picture in the show notes if it's possible. But for now, just imagine a paved road with a middle turn lane and clear glistening in the, glistening in the sun water bottles spread out everywhere. We're almost done, and this white panel van pulls up with two gentlemen, and the driver lowers his window and pulls up next to John and says, Two, please. John looks at me, and I'm just like, Sure. Why didn't I think of that? This could have been the best publicity stunt since dropping a thousand bulletins in the back of a Pathfinder. So John takes the two bottles that he had in his hand, hands them through the window, and I hear the guy say in broken English, Thank you. God bless. And we lost it. It was so funny. I mean, they had no idea. It just looked like a generous plan to bless the community with free water. Now, fast forward to just a few years ago, and now I'm supervising four campuses and their campus pastors. And the only way I can describe my season of life is it feels like I'm living in this photo. I know in my spirit that this is not how it's supposed to be. And it feels like I'm one slow turn away from disaster. I'm busy. I'm running all over the countryside. I'm leading other campus pastors, not sure if I'm leading myself and my own family well. Anxious, discouraged, depleted. 
my office was given to an intern because I wasn't really using it anyway, but it felt like a message that targeted my value to the organization. My car was then my office and there's clutter and scheduling chaos and there's enough spaghetti to feed a campus core team spilled in the back seat. I'm not joking. Strategy confusion. I'm five minutes late to everything. And let me just stop for a second and ask you, have you ever been here? Clutter? Confusion around your calling? Tough season with the kids or aging parents or both? I'm unable to even put into words at this point. I don't don't have the vocabulary, but I'm pretty sure the words I was using with my wife were things like, this isn't sustainable. We've got to pull over and stop and find a rhythm of rest. I remember my my supervisor at the time asking me, he's like, hey, what are your goals for 2018, man? How can I be praying for you? And in a moment of honesty, I said, My goal for 2018 is to discover a sustainable rhythm of rest on this journey. He seemed disappointed. I told him, I said, my kids are not eight years of their dad being in ministry better kids. It's kind of like they've seen how the sausage is made and they've lost their appetite. And I'm starting to do the same. He said, well, do they resent the church? I don't know. So I asked him that night. Do you guys resent the church? No, no, of course not, Dad. I've only realized recently that that was the wrong question. It's not a bad question. It's just the wrong question. Our goal shouldn't be, as parents and pastors and leaders, to prevent our kids from resenting the church. We should be living in a way that our kids are attracted to and naturally fall in love with Jesus because he saved our lives. Yeah, not just for eternity, but from this, this, this feeling best described by the photo. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. These are the words of Jesus. If you're a Jesus follower, this is what he invites us into. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now let me just ask you, what child, or adult for that matter, could ever resent that? But if your life looks like a thousand water bottles on the road in the middle of traffic, what child or adult would want to follow that around? Here's a question for you. How attractive is your life to your children? I'm in the tree stand one day bow hunting and I find a tractor supply receipt. And on the back, I just start writing the names of the people that have had the biggest impact on my life. Pastors, teachers, coaches, authors. I wrote each of them a thank you note describing specifically how they had impacted me. One of them was a former pastor and he has become a good friend. He was a pastor at the church I worked for, but he resigned two weeks before I started. And I've never forgiven him for that. He replied to my note, and we met at Starbucks shortly after I sent him that card. And he could see something in my heart that looked a little messy. And I'll never forget the question he asked me that day. He said, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? And when he asked, 
that question, it just resonated at such a deep level. I said, that's it. I have a soul problem. I wasn't physically tired. My soul was depleted. My soul longed for rest. And then when we were done with coffee, he asked me to consider this question over the next couple of weeks. The question is, what do you sense Jesus inviting you into? And when I consider what Jesus might be inviting me into, I'm drawn to his words in Matthew that we read earlier here. Let me read it again. And I want to read it to you from the message translation. I, I love this translation. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do your kids resent the church? Let me just say, if you've even got to ask that question, you're not living in this invitation of Jesus, of, of walking with Him and working with Him and watching how He does it. My friend Tim, he became a, the founder and facilitator of this soul space. It's a two-year spiritual journey that utilizes quarterly retreats for spiritual direction and renewal. And I, I've got more information on that. If, if you want it, you can reach out to me. And it's, a, it's this two-year quarterly retreat. And Jenna and I, my wife, and I both would say it changed everything. And I'm not telling you that to sell you anything. The soul space journey probably saved my life. Let's just say Jenna and I were extremely motivated to find a space where we could slow our souls down and pay attention. Tim told a story of a tribe in Africa that would often send their men on a hunting expedition that would last for several weeks. And after three days of travel, they would stop for one day to let their souls catch up. See, they believed that you could physically and mentally outpace your soul. And that first weekend of the retreat, I slept for 12 hours straight. And when I woke up the next day, I felt like my soul was catching up. And one of the most important things Jenna and I discovered that became the tip of the iceberg for our soul journey was an accurate understanding of the gift of Sabbath. It's more than just a Sunday afternoon nap and checking church off the attendance uh, church attendance off the weekend to-do list. I'm, I'm here to tell you, something happened in me between the thermos and the bottled water. My Sabbath boundaries became blurry. What was once a very clear distinction between work and rest was now fuzzy. When you're swinging a hammer and punching a clock and shutting it down for a day or two, it's pretty easy to understand because it feels necessary. But for eight years, I didn't observe Sabbath. I really spent six days preparing for the seventh, and I even led my family, staff, and volunteers into this misunderstanding that the work of the church was so important that a two-hour power nap later that day would be enough to be considered obedient to one of the Ten Commandments. It's not. <laughs> so let me ask you, how is it with your soul? 
What do you sense Jesus inviting you into? Well, thanks for listening today. To stay in the loop with the Bootleg Gathering, go to thebootleggathering.com.